Hey, hey Chris, Grace City, City Church. Church. I'm Anna. I'm Steve. We wish we could be with you today. Unfortunately not. We're sending much love here from uh, Cape Town. Hope you guys uh, are doing well. We're on day 119 year of lockdown uh, in Cape Town. Really wish we could be with you in person. Okay, I'm just going to pray now quickly, um, just before you hear the word now. Father God, we just want to thank you for our friends in Sydney. And I pray today that when they hear this word from Stephen, that they would feel so encouraged and strengthened in their faith and that you would lift their heads to see you, that you're in control and that you're for them. We pray a blessing on them in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Bye. Hey everybody, I'm Stephen. I'm Anna. We wish we could be with you today, but we send loads of love from Cape Town. Really praying that today's message would help strengthen and fortify you. God bless. The reading today is from Philippians 4, verses 10 to 20. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have, le I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Anna. Let's pray. Lord, we pray as we come to your word, we pray that you would take the written word and cause it to become the living word. We pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us and garrison us. And all God's people said, amen. Now, if the TV show Seinfeld was a show about nothing, then the sitcom The Office mastered awkward. There, there are so many scenes in The Office that leave you feeling self-consciously uncomfortable. And we get some of that feel here in Philippians chapter 4. But Paul is writing to thank the church for the gift that they have sent him. We, we see this in verse 10, 14, and 18. And, and, and yet, he doesn't want to come across as one of those uh, distant family members who only get in touch when they're after money. So, so he keeps on doubling back on himself to make sure that the church understands that this letter isn't another pitch for more money. Notice verse 11. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. Or verse 17. Not, not that I desire your gifts. Or, or verse 18. I've received full payment and have more than enough I am amply supplied. Paul is 
thankful, but he is hesitant. He's hesitant because he doesn't want to come across as being needy or manipulative. And this hesitancy leads to the awkwardness. But in the midst of the awkwardness of this letter, we get three incredible gems. Firstly, a secret. Secondly, a partnership. And then thirdly, a promise. A secret, a partnership, and a promise. Let's begin with the secret. In verses 10 through 13, Paul really opens up his heart and his soul. He shares a secret that has taken many years for him to discover. It's just a few verses. It's so easy to miss. But in verse 11, he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Or or verse 12, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Paul's secret has got to do with contentment, and it is a learned secret. Paul has had to go through the highs and lows of life in order to learn the secret. In the passage, he tells us that he has known what it is to be in need. He has known what it is to be hungry. He has known what it is to live in want. But he has also known what it is to have plenty, what it is to be well-fed, what it is to have abundance. Paul has known both plenty and poverty, and everything in us wants to say, and Paul, plenty is better, right? Well, the amazing thing about Philippians chapter 4 is that Paul says no, actually. The contentment that Paul has learned and discovered is a contentment that isn't rooted in circumstance. What are you talking about, Paul? Well, in the context of the letter, it's for me to live as Christ and die as gain. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him. You may think to yourself, Paul, what are you talking about? Obviously, you haven't been through any suffering in order to make a statement like that. But then remember, of course, that Paul is writing this letter from prison. Remember the lists of, of hardships that he describes in 2 Corinthians. Paul has had an incredibly difficult life. And because of that, We should sit up and pay attention when he says that he's learned the secret of contentment. Because Paul didn't learn the secret through reading a tweet. Paul Paul isn't some kind of uh, philosopher who has reflected on life, divorced from the real rough and tumble of life. No, 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 no. Paul has been in the, the pressure cooker of life. He he has experienced all that life can throw at him. And yet he says that the secret of contentment isn't in our circumstances, rather it is in Christ. True, lasting contentment is found in Jesus. And because it's found in Jesus and not in circumstance, Paul knows that there are two experiences that can draw us away from true and lasting contentment that is only found in Jesus. Poverty can pull us away, but so can prosperity. Abundance can pull us away, but so can scarcity. Overflow can pull us away, 
but so can hardship. Now, you may be sitting here today thinking, well, well Steve, yeah, I, I, I get the fact that, that hardship can bounce us out of finding true contentment in Christ. But is plenty really a problem? Surely plenty is not a problem. Surely it's like, bring on prosperity, please. But Paul knows better. Paul has learned a secret. And Paul knows that we can be derailed as much through prosperity as we can through adversity. Remember the story in the Gospels where, where, where 10 lepers seek the Lord in, in, in the midst of their adversity, in the midst of their sickness. All, all 10 seek the Lord and, and all 10 are healed. But in their state of healing, in their state of prosperity, only one returns to give thanks. Friends, when things are going swimmingly in our lives, our need for God can appear invisible. Friends, part of maturing in Christ is learning to discern the unique temptations that a season of plenty brings. Friends, when we're in a season of plenty, uh, it is easy for us to inflate ourselves. It is easy to inflate our possessions. It is easy for us to morph into a wrong burgundy. I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. It's easy for us to imagine that we are way more bulletproof than we really are. And it's really easy for our possessions to bring us disproportionate amounts of joy. But, but friends, if you are old enough and if you are honest enough, you will know that a season of plenty does not bring you the lasting contentment that you crave. It doesn't deliver as advertised. This was brought home to me very vividly a number of years back. I was... Uh, attending a golf tour with some of my friends and it required a long road trip and uh, a friend uh, picked me up and he picked me up in his uh, brand new uh, car that he had just got a few days earlier and hadn't told any of us about and so I got into his nice fancy car and we went on this uh, five-hour road trip and about an hour and a half uh, into the trip, we, we hit a really bad rainstorm and it became really cold and we put on the warm air. But I said to him, I said to him, hey, surely a car like this has got heated seats. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah I'm sure it does. Just, just check the manual. And so I went through the manual uh, and uh, I, I, I said to him, um, the, the, this is the X, right? And, and he said, no, 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 it's the S. And I said, ah, oh, sorry, man, <laughs> the S doesn't have heated seats. And it was as if I had told him that a family member had passed away. It was a massively deflating moment for him because this car that wasn't even seven days old had already lost its allure. And friends, any of us that have got an Apple product know what this is like, correct? You, you, you save up for months to get the best iPhone ever made and finally you get it only for them to announce two weeks later that they introduce in a new version and the phone that you're left with is the 
not the best iPhone ever produced. Friends, if we're honest with ourselves, things do not bring the contentment that we crave. My wife Anna and I have the standing joke just before we make any big purchase is that we will say sarcastically to each other, well, we, we really should get that because of course if we get it, we will be lastingly happy. We poke fun at ourselves to remind ourselves that possessions themselves do not bring the contentment that we crave. Plenty does not deliver on its promise of contentment. Now, if plenty lies to us about the possibility of contentment, then adversity threatens to steal contentment from us. Globally at the moment, all of us, uh, through differing degrees, are going through a season of adversity as the coronavirus sweeps the globe. Adversity has a way of revealing what we are building our lives on. It, it has a way of amplifying our fears and downsizing God in our lives. But friends, I want to say to you that it is possible to resist the work of adversity in our lives if only we would look to God and trust him to work in us in the midst of a difficult situation. It, it, it doesn't happen automatically, mind you. Paul is right. It is a learned secret. But if we are open to God, what we will discover is that even in our darkest hours, it is possible to have contentment in Christ. I'm so grateful that Paul was honest that he didn't learn this lesson straight away, that he went through difficult experiences which taught him some important truths. In 2 Corinthians 1, 8 and 9, Paul bears his heart about a, a failed lesson, if you like. He says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. As Paul goes through this very difficult time in his life, a time when he was under great pressure, far beyond his ability to endure, so that in his heart he felt the sentence of death. When, when Paul was going through such a low moment, as he, as he looks back, he realizes that actually God was at work. God was at work even in the midst of the adversity. And what God was doing was trying to wean Paul off himself and onto God. God was trying to get Paul, way less self-reliant and way more God-dependent. Friends, in a season of adversity, if you're open to it, one of the things that you can learn is that God really is enough. When you hit rock bottom, you can discover that you are still on the rock. The rock is Christ and Christ can take you through any storm. Friends, sometimes we have to get a place, get to a place in our lives 
where Christ is all we've got to realize that Christ is all we need. And friends, that is the learned secret that Paul discovered. He learned that Jesus truly is enough, that his contentment isn't rooted in circumstance, whether prosperity or poverty, but it is rooted in Jesus Christ. That's why he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The all things here in the context of the passage isn't uh, superhero powers to do whatever you want. The all things here is an ability to navigate through adversity and prosperity in a way that you do not lose true lasting contentment in Christ. I want to ask you today, do you know this contentment? Are you resting in Jesus? Are you drawing strength from him? Is Jesus enough for you? Or are you looking for some future season of prosperity to deliver on the contentment promise? Or or, or is your current adversity crushing you? Friends, whatever season you find yourself in, can, can I point you to Jesus? Jesus is the secret of contentment. Jesus truly is enough. Jesus wants to help you and strengthen you and quiet you with his love. With all this noise going around us, Look to your Savior. Behold the Lamb. Worship the King. So firstly, a secret. Secondly, a partnership. One of the big themes that run through the book of Philippians from chapter 1 right through to chapter 4 here is this theme of partnership. Paul is deeply grateful for the partnership that he has with the Philippian church. And the aspect of the partnership that he's most grateful for was the fact that this church stood with him even in his really difficult times. We see this in verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. In in chapter 1, Paul has already thanked them for supporting him, not just in the proclamation and defense of the gospel, but also in his imprisonment. Paul is deeply grateful that when the, the, the going got tough, the Philippian church didn't just throw in the towel, but they continued to support Paul and his mission. The relationship that Paul had uh, with the Philippian church was a gospel partnership and so very different from a consumer relationship. Tim Keller defines a consumer relationship as follows. Throughout history, there has always been consumer relationships. Such a relationship lasts only as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost acceptable to you. If another vendor delivers better services or the same service at a better cost, you have no obligation to stay in a relationship to the original vendor. In consumer relationships, it could be said that the individual's needs are more important than the relationship. But friends, a gospel partnership asks for more than that. In a gospel partnership, we voluntarily embrace biblically appropriate downsides to relationships, situations, or the church community. 
We, we, we're not just in it for ourselves. It's not a just a feed me, entertain me, meet my needs deal. Rather, we are looking to serve each other in love. In a gospel partnership, we don't just celebrate and enjoy the wins, but we're around for the hard and difficult moments as well. Friends, a healthy church has a partnership feel about it. There, there is an atmosphere of dependability and steadfastness. Relationships look and feel distinctly different from a consumer relationship. It, it is faithful, not flighty. Can I ask you today, what is your relationship like with your church? Is it a consumer relationship or are you in a gospel partnership? Are you just involved in your church for what you can get out of it? Or has the gospel so come to your heart? Has the love of Christ so melted your heart that you consider other people's interests more important than your own? Do, do you have skin in the game? Or are you endlessly just checking things out? Friends, we all desire deep community. But in order for that to happen, we need to see gospel partnerships multiplied many times over. So firstly, a secret. Secondly, a partnership. And finally, a promise. Now, if you've been tracking with me through Philippians 4 here, you may be thinking to yourself, man, this, this passage is making a big demand of me. It's calling me to, to, to radically pursue contentment in God despite my circumstance. And it's calling me to sacrificially serve others. It's calling me to be fully devoted to God and, and, and fully devoted to others. But, but, but if I do that, won't I be taken advantage of? I mean, after all, if I'm not putting myself first or if I'm not trying to arrange and orchestrate my circumstances for my own good, why not just become everybody's doormat? Why not be taken advantage of? And it is as if Paul is anticipating that objection, which is why he concludes this section by really giving an incredible promise. In verse 19, Paul says, And my God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of God's glory in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is an incredible promise to alleviate our fears. Paul tells us that my God, the God of the Bible, the God of covenant-keeping faithfulness, the God who has come through time and time again, that God will meet, not could meet or should meet, but will meet all, not some, but all of your needs, not your wants. We're not tele-evangelists. It's, it's not all of your wants, but it is all of your needs. My God will meet all of your needs. Friends, what do, what do you need today? Do, do you need salvation? Then, then, then look to Jesus. Turn from your sin and put your trust in him and you will find salvation. Do you need strengthening? God will strengthen you. Are you lonely? God will meet you and comfort you. Do you need a building? God is the one that can build you up. 
And friends, there is no need that is missing because Paul tells us that it is all need. So, so, so whatever your legitimate need is, God will meet it, Paul says. But you say, well, well, well how is it going to be met? Well, Paul tells us, according to the riches of his glory in Christ. And William Hansen says that in this final little phrase, there are just three incredible things that we learn. The first is that God is going to provide for all of our needs according to his riches. What that means is that the measure of supply will be according to his riches. And, and, and spoiler alert, uh, he never runs out of his riches. To do, do a study of God's riches uh, in the Bible and you will discover that it is boundless and lavish and abundant and limitless. The, the God who has created all things owns all things, so never runs out of resources. It is according to his riches. And secondly, Hansen tells us God deals in glory. The, the, this is incredible. God doesn't work with, with, with foreign exchange or, 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 or bonds or stocks or real estate or even gold. No, 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 no. God deals in glory. His glory is absolutely transcendent. It, it, it infinitely surpasses any and all forms of human wealth. That's how our God rolls. He deals in gold for those that are in Christ. The phrase in Christ tells us the address of those who are going to receive God's provision. Those who through faith have put their trust in Jesus are in Christ and they are the ones that are going to be the joyful recipients of all that they need from God. If you're thinking here today that if I really put God first, if I really find contentment in God, and if I radically serve others in gospel partnership, then I'm going to be taken advantage of. No, you won't. No, you won't. Because my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. He will provide all that you need. You will not be taken advantage of. And then Paul lands the section by saying, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, if you get who Jesus is, if you get the fact that true and all contentment is found in him, if you get the fact that he is going to provide for all of our needs according to his riches, that he deals in glory for those of us that are in Christ, you can fully and wholeheartedly give yourself to God and give yourself to others. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray for the reality of these promises to be brought to bear on our hearts. Lord, we pray for the truth that you promise us would be catalytic for us truly finding our contentment in you, whatever our circumstance. Lord, we pray for the fact that you want to provide for all areas of our lives, would cause us to wholeheartedly give ourselves to you and wholeheartedly give ourselves to others. Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in and through our lives. And all God's people said, Amen.